Thank you all for having us here today. We had a little bit late this morning. The time change kind of threw us off a little bit. We always enjoy meeting with y'all. We enjoy meeting with the saints everywhere. It's a pleasure to meet with God's people, and especially to meditate upon the doctrines of grace and the sovereignty of God Almighty. Now, I warned y'all last time I was here, I'm pretty quick to the point, and I'm probably going to be quick to the point this morning. But speaking of God's sovereignty, I'd like for us to, if it's the will of the Lord, to think on to think on His sovereignty and, more specifically, the word predestination. And I guess that's the subject of my text this morning, is predestination itself, as well as the meaning and how it relates to God's people. Now, if you'll turn with me to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, starting with the 28th verse, Paul writing to the, to the church and the saints at Rome, he says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed, to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now this word predestinate comes from the Greek, and I'm probably going to slaughter the pronunciation here, but parizo. The word is used six times in the New Testament. Four times it is used as the word predestinate, or in the past tense, predestinated, two you have here from Romans 8:29 and the 30th verse. The other two come to us out of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1:5, Paul writes, "...having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will." And then in the 11th verse, Paul writes, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance." being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The word also appears, parazo, appears in Acts and in 1 Corinthians. Acts 4.28, For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before to be done. Now the word here is determined. And in 1 Corinthians 2 and 7 but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Here the word is ordained. The word itself means to determine in advance or to limit in advance. And it is one of the core doctrines that God's people hold to, especially as it relates to the doctrine of irresistible grace. And as we see here in Romans, Paul unveils to us the fact that those who are called have been called according to the purpose of God. Those same who have been called, as we see in relating it to the 29th and 30th verses, they are the same whom He foreknew, they are the same who He predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son, they are the same who have been called, who have been justified, and who are glorified. Now, all of these reveal to us that God is at work in the whole process. I was trying to think last night what I talked to y'all about last time, and I couldn't remember. But I want to turn to 2 Timothy 1.9 because the important thing to understand about predestination is it is something that 
happened before time itself in eternity with God Almighty. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul writing to Timothy, actually I'll go up and start with the 8th verse, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So God saved us, he has called us, not with a common calling, but with a holy calling. And it's not according to our own works. It's, it's, it's foundations of the doctrine of grace that God's grace is shown unto His people in the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That not It's not our works that have merited salvation by God in Christ's blood, but it is according to His own grace. Now, if we want to think about this, think about it in the sense that God is king, He is creator of the universe and all the things that are in. And as king and creator of universe, He has the sole right and authority, as Paul writes in the ninth chapter of Romans, to make one, to make of the same lump, and this is 9 and 21, of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Now, this is, this is following on the question that Paul poses in his letter to the Romans after laying out the fact in the 18th verse that God has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Quoting from Exodus in the 17th verse, The Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, those many thousands of years ago, when Moses was interceding for the people of God as God's chosen messenger, he was interceding before Pharaoh. And we have the account given to us from Exodus that every time a plague came, Pharaoh went through a cycle of, I'm going to let them go. And then the Lord hardened his heart and he said, I ain't going to let them go. And another plague come. Now, it's not because of chance. It's not because of God saying, well... He didn't let them go. I didn't expect that. I'll just send them another plague. We have from the Scripture, God hardened his heart. Now, it's interesting in the sense that Paul poses the same question that's posed today. Thou wilt say unto me, why doth, he, why doth he yet find fault? Who hath resisted his will? We have to understand that we are creatures and he is the Creator. And as the sovereign God, he has the sole divine right make of the same lump of clay, which we're all of clay, one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. So in, in understanding this, we begin to see that how it is truly according to the grace of God that He has predestinated a certain amount of people unto salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's not only predestinated them unto salvation, He's predestinated them to be called unto salvation. If we, you know, the book of John is, is full of this doctrinal truth that God calls His people. You know, when Jesus was talking with Jews in the sixth chapter of John, He had just, he had just fed, we just had the miracle of the 5,000 being fed with the loaves of bread and fish. And they began to follow Him. I'm going to paraphrase some of this. They began to follow Him seeking that bread, the bread of this world, the bread that perishes. Now, in reading through the gospel accounts, that, that must have been 
a hard time on them Jews because every time people flocked to him, they flocked for healing and to be fed. Some were paralyzed. Some were taken possessed by devils. It was all man- Some were even blind. There were all manners of disease and afflictions on them people. And to marvel at the fact that they continually flock unto him to receive healing and to receive physical bread. And yet, when, when he spoke to them of the spiritual bread, they rebuffed him. It's plain evidence of what the apostle says in first, in first Corinthians when he said, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now, Paul also said that what, so thing, what, things knoweth the spirit, what things knoweth man save the spirit of man which is in him. Therefore, knoweth no man the things of God except the spirit of God. I, I meant to try to quote that, and that didn't come out too good. That comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In Paul's opening of his letter, he speaks, he's speaking of the Corinthians here, and he's telling them of how his coming unto them and his speaking unto them, he did not use enticing words of man's wisdom, fourth verse. But his speech and his preaching was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, a question often posed is how ought we to preach the gospel? Well, Paul shows them here that his words were not his words were not enticing words. He didn't try to go at them as a salesman or or trying to persuade them through uh, demonstrations of argument. He didn't try to argue his point with them, and in the sense that he tried to persuade them using wisdom that we might using techniques and wisdom that we might use as as people and as creations of God. But he came and preached the simple gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want an example of Christ's preaching. You can look at the 17th chapter of Acts and the 30th and 31st verses, especially when he tells the people there at Athens, I marveled. He says, I marveled at the altar that you had in the city to the unknown God. And then he gets before them and says, Him I declare unto you. I want to read I want to read that to you so we can get this exactly right. Because Paul's preaching here in Acts is a clear example of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the true Word of God, unto people who have not heard it before. When Paul says in the 24th verse, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is the Lord of heaven and of earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped men, with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain of your poets have said, for we, also, we are also his offspring." For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think the Godhead is like the gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead." Now notice here, he does not plead with them to join his side. He does not tell them, well, if you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll, everything will work out just fine for you. He tells them plainly 
they ought not worship God as as He is something that is made of gold and silver. He is not to be worshipped in temple. He is not. To, he does not dwell in temples that are made with hands. And the fact is that He now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, this word "men" is used in the general sense. It means all mankind is now commanded to repent. And this goes back to the sovereign God and into the act of predestination and the fact that not everybody can repent. And we have elsewhere in Acts where where Luke records the fact that after Peter gives his his testimony of the wondrous works of the conversions of the Gentiles with the conversion of Cornelius' house, they praised God that God had granted repentance unto the Gentiles, that the doors had been opened, that that that, that the evidence or the works of the fact that the veil of the temple had been rent, and there was now the middle, that the middle wall of partition had been broken down between the Jews and the Gentiles was made evident unto that early church, and that God had granted repentance unto the Gentiles. Now, this same sovereign God commands every, all men everywhere to repent. And He tells them here at the very end, He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained. And we have this seal that Jesus Christ will be the judge of the world in righteousness when He says He hath given assurance unto all in that He hath raised Him from the dead. So we have the seal that Jesus Christ will judge the world in righteousness at the last day, at the appointed day, appointed by the Father, and that the Father has raised Him from the dead. Now, this is Paul. This is an example of Paul's preaching. Notice here, he doesn't use enticing words. He doesn't try to use tricks, I'll say parlor tricks, to bring people into the church or into the fold. He doesn't try to get them. He just gets up and states very plainly, this is God, this is the true God, and this is what God has done, and this is the fact that Jesus Christ will return and judge the world in righteousness. What happens? Well, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter, especially of the matter of the resurrection of the dead. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believe, among which was Dionysus, the Arapagate, slaughtered that word too, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Going back to the book of First Corinthians, we would I, I you know, when I first started reading, I asked myself and I, I went with the assumption that if I read this was years ago, if I read and understood the meanings behind all the words, I would understand the truth of God. Well, when you come across 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're made to understand that that's not, the, that's not the fact. We could understand every Greek word and every Hebrew word in this Bible. We could understand the, the literal meaning and yet the truth of God not be in our hearts except the Spirit of God be in us. That's given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now note that Paul told them, My preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. How is it in demonstration of the Spirit? Well, we have in the 11th verse, or the 10th verse, God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God is, remember God is sovereign. He is the creator of the universe as such. He, had, he holds the reins of wisdom and knowledge itself. 
in that all the knowledge we know is given to us by God Almighty. That is the knowledge of His Word, the knowledge of His grace, the knowledge of His mercy upon His people. Furthermore, Paul points out that man knows the things that are of man. We understand the scientific laws of this world. We understand the mathematical. We understand the, the philosophies of mankind. Because the spirit of man is in us and it gives us a desire to search and to plumb the depths of our own wisdom. But the carnal man is limited at that point. He cannot begin to even fathom, even as, even as children of God on, on this side of eternity, we can't fathom the depths and riches of His wisdom and of His mercy to the fullest extent. But, but Paul points out that it is only by the Spirit of God that we're, able to res- that we're able to understand and to know the mysteries of God. Think about that. The grace of God Almighty predestinating His children to be conformed to the image of His Son. What does that mean? That means that before time began, He predetermined His children. He predetermined His adopted saints to be conformed to the image of His Son in this life and in eternity. So that, as Paul says here in the the 30th verse of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is all of Christ. It is all of God. It is all because of God's mercy. And this is really the whole point of predestination. It's not something. It's not a doctrine that we are to use to make ourselves feel higher than everyone else. If anything, it ought to make us feel very low and humble before the Holy God. Because Paul has pointed out that God predetermined His own particular people. And He called them with a holy calling, as Paul points out to Timothy. And that the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So if the Spirit of God is not in us, we do not know the things of God, because only the Spirit of man dwells within us by nature. So that Paul, when he tells them, my preaching was in demonstration of the Spirit and power, they received his preaching because of the Spirit. And their conversion was a evidence of the, was a demonstration of the Spirit. And it came in the power of God. So that their faith did not stand on some argument. Their faith did not stand on something the preacher said. Their faith did not stand on the fact that, well, they said, if I do this, this will happen. But their faith stood on the power of God. It didn't stand within themselves. It didn't stand upon anything they were they had learned. But their faith stood in the power of God. And in between the fifth and the eleventh verses, Paul writes, "Howbeit we speak among wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak." the wisdom of God and a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God." And so we understand from this that we are utterly and absolutely dependent on Him for all wisdom and all knowledge and things of the Godhead. Furthermore, all things that we that we do through this life, we are dependent and we are dependent upon Him and His mercy. 
in the fact that in uh, the psalm says if the if the Lord is not in the building, the builders labor in vain. If the Lord is not in the watching, the watchers watch in vain. Now this idea of predestination, the idea that God has chosen a certain people is not exclusive to Paul's writings. In the book of John, Jesus speaks time and time again of His chosen people. His whole prayer of the 17th, in the 17th chapter of John is, is about those whom the Father has given Him. And in the 10th chapter of John, when the Jews confront Him, and they, they charge Him with blasphemy, in the 24th verse they say, If thou be Christ, tell us plainly. Now this is in the 10th chapter of John. He has told them before this. He has shown them before this. Had, had the wisdom of God be in them, and they understood what the prophets had prophesied ever since the days of Adam and Eve, they would have understood what Jesus Christ had come to do. And they would have understood all His works were proofs and signs of, well, they were proofs and demonstrations of the power that had been given unto Him. So here they ask Him, tell us plainly. He says, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So he has told them, and also he's worked the works of God Almighty in their very presence, and they still believe not. So the question would be, well, if these things, if the healing of the blind and the healing of the, of the paralytics didn't convince them, why? Why were they not convinced? Because the common thought nowadays is, if you can just educate everyone, if you can educate everyone about Jesus Christ, if you can just explain it to them, they'll understand. We're all smart people. We should understand that. But Paul's very plain in his letter. We don't understand the things of God except the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God doesn't reveal them to us, we don't understand them. So Christ tells them why they don't believe. He says, you don't, he says, you believe not, in the 26th verse, you believe not because ye are not of my sheep. Well, that's pretty plain. You can't really twist that one around. You don't believe because you're not of my sheep. Here's my, my sheep are over here. You're not over here. You don't believe. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We have all heard the voice of Christ. We've all heard the voice of God. It may not be in our ears, but it's in our hearts. When we are brought to the full conviction of our sins and brought to understand that we cannot do anything to merit our righteousness before the presence of God because Isaiah says, says in the 64th chapter and 6th verse, our most righteous works are as filthy rags before Him. And furthermore, Isaiah points out that, that we are the clay and He is the potter in the 8th verse. And we are all the work of His hands. And so Christ telling the Pharisees here, you do not believe because you are not My sheep. Then He tells them, My sheep hear My voice and I know them. So it's not just somebody out there that might hear his voice and they come in the door and he says, oh, oh, who are you? No, he knows who they are before they ever hear his voice. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. And he's very plain with this. I and my Father are one. Now, they obviously understood what he was saying because they took up stones to stone him again. So it's plain that they knew that he was equating himself with God Almighty, and yet they despised him. Why did they despise him? Because they were not of his sheep. 
You see, this is the whole point of predestination. That there is a flock of God that has been predetermined and then there's everybody else. God has created everybody. Now, I'm not saying God is the author of sin, but that's a different subject and I'm not going to get on that today. My point here today is to show that God has predetermined unto Himself a particular people, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. They are of the sheep of God. They have been given unto Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ gives unto them eternal life. Furthermore, they, they are known of Christ, they hear His voice, and they follow Him. So anybody that might say, well... They may, they may be Christ's sheep, but they won't ever hear His voice in this life. That does not agree with what our Lord and Savior said here in the 10th chapter of John. And He said it very plainly. This is the act of predestination, God's predestinating love upon His people, brethren. And it ought to be a very humbling thing unto us. We're accused time and time again of saying, well, you're just saying you're better than everybody. No! We are saying that God is full of grace and mercy and love, and in His grace and in His foreknowledge of all things, and He has predetermined unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, a particular flock of sheep unto Himself, and given them unto Jesus Christ. When Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, 9, who hath given us, who, or, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This is the grace which was given us in Christ Jesus. We were given to Christ Jesus before the world began. This is the eternal covenant which the Father and the Son entered into, that the Father had predetermined unto Himself a peculiar flock of sheep and had given them in the trust of Christ. And as Christ says here in the 17th chapter of John he has. There are three things here that I want to. I want to look at in the seventeenth chapter. I have given. This is eight verse. I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, for they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Why did they believe? Comparing it to the tenth chapter, they believed because they were the sheep. He is speaking directly of the apostles and all those that believed during his earthly ministry. And he says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but I pray but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now the, the flock of God were God the Father's before the world began. And he gave them to the Son, so that the Son would redeem them through his act of self-sacrifice and bloodshed for their atonement. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. So he prays for those that God has given him, not for the world. Furthermore, you know, some people may ask, well, why, why aren't, you know, when we're, when we're regenerated and converted and made to believe in Jesus Christ and brought to understanding of the Word of God and, and, and added to the church, after, or Adam added to the church, being baptized, why, why aren't we just caught up and taken out of the world? What's well, plain here, brethren, the 15th verse. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And this, this here, this ending, this isn't just an evil in a general sense. If you look at the literal translations, it is from the evil one. So Christ has prayed only for those that are given to him by God. He prays that they sh- not that they should be taken out of the world, but that they should be kept from the evil one. Furthermore, it's not just the ones that he was talking, the ones that were here during his first advent. 
But he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which them also which shall believe on me through their word. So all that are given unto Jesus Christ were not just the apostles, were not just those who believed during his earthly ministry, but they are all those who shall believe on Jesus Christ through the word of the apostles. And we have the word of the apostles in this New Testament that all of their letters and all of their preachings, Christ prayed. He prayed not that everyone would believe, but He prayed for those which shall believe, those that had been given unto Him and that were going to believe through the word of the apostles, through the word of Christ preached and written by the apostles. Now, these same ones which were given to Him during His earthly ministry and the same ones which shall believe on, on Him through the word of the apostles are the same ones that are of that fold of sheep that believe on Jesus Christ and that were given to Him by the Father before the world began. You see how all this is interrelated. You can't hold one verse alone in the Bible without it agreeing with every other verse. The whole Bible has to agree with, it, with itself. So when we compare Scripture, we begin to see the glorious grace of God Almighty revealed unto His people in that He gave Christ His people such that Christ would redeem His people from their sins. He told, he told us plainly why He came. He said He came to seek that which was saved. Wow, I got that backwards, didn't I? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. I get stuff backwards a lot. It happens to me a lot. And I want to, I just want to close here because, you know, it's not a prideful thing that we dwell on the grace of God. It's not, it's not anything to go out and for us to boast because Paul said, let him glory, let him, let him that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, all that the Lord has done. And two verses, I, a couple of verses I want to close with. The first one comes out of John 15. Christ giving His exhortations, I believe, not just to His apostles, but all those that believe on Him. He says, Abide in Me and I in you, fourth verse, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in Me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. So he, he establishes the hierarchy here. He that abideth in Me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without Me ye can do nothing. So while we are predestinated unto God's love, we are predestinated unto, to be conformed to the image of His Son, we are still the branches. And He is still the vine. We can do nothing without Him. We're ever reliant upon Him. And I think we all understand that. But if you're like me, you have to be reminded of these things time and time again. That we're ever reliant upon Christ. He is the vine. You know, you go out to a grapevine and you cut a branch off, the branch withers and dies. Because it's separated from the vine. The vine brings the nourishment up from the roots. All the mineral nutrients and liquid nutrients that the vines receive come up from the roots. And without the vine, the root or the, the branches will die. Well, if we turn to the 11th chapter of Romans, we're not dealing with a, with a grapevine here. We're dealing with an olive tree. Where some of the, olive, some of the branches have been broken off and... Paul addressing the Gentiles directly in the 17th verse and saying, And thou being a wild olive tree wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Now here we are dealing with a tree and not a vine. And here Paul points out that the root bears, the root supports the branches, and the branches 
receive all their nutrients from the root. And in this instance, the root is Christ. The root is God. That will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. That thou, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shall be cut off. Now this obviously is not... The the true children of God will never be truly cut off. But it's... He's... I can't think... He's posing an argument to them to exhort them to walk in humility and faith and to understand that they, they have been grafted into the olive tree of God, by God, the husbandman, and they stand by faith. And this faith, brethren, we know is given to us by God Almighty when Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 and 8, For by faith are you saved through grace, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So he points out in Ephesians that faith is given to us as a gift of God. And here in Romans, he reminds the Roman brethren that they were standing by faith. And that faith, if it is a gift of God, we are each and every day ever dependent upon God. So I hope, I hope we've, some of this has been edifying to all of us this morning. That predestination is not a, a call for us to boast or not a call for us to be proud, but is a call for us to be humble and to understand the grace and severity of God Almighty. May God keep you through the week. Thank you.